Do you wear the colours of your company? Does it make you feel great when you walk into a room or you're on a Zoom call in your corporate colours? Have you even given it any thought at all? You'll see me in pink lots. Well, it is a detail that is worth thinking about. And our guest today, Marina Hoa, takes us on a journey about colours and branding and really unravels some mysteries that even I didn't know. She's even been known to dress up herself to grab a little attention for her business. It's worth listening in to some of the tips that Marina has to share today. What's new, Wendy Wu? Well, we're charting in the United Arab Emirates. Thank you for listening over there. Do drop me a line. Let me know what your favourite episodes are and why. We'll even give you a shout out. Talking about shout outs, I've received a special review on Podchaser from Neil Veglio. For those of you that don't know, he's my producer. I have to share him, but he's brilliant. If you're thinking about doing a podcast for your business, I would highly recommend him. But now it's time to get back to the show. Tell us a little bit about how you got into marketing, rebranding, working with coaches and that sort of thing. Do you want the long story to that? (laughs) (laughs) My thing is and has always been about identity and how we construct identity, how we form relationships and, and what kind of makes us want to stick together as humans and belong, but then also what makes us want to stick out because, you know, we all need to be herd animals. And at the same time, we have this very innate sense that we need to be individuals. And I certainly myself have always been more on the individualistic side, I thought anyway, and then COVID hit and I've been cured of that. (laughs) (laughs) Then the community side, and, and it was only over the last sort of year that I realized just how much I was missing people. The right sort of people though, don't you think? That is absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. And I don't miss driving to meetings where we then spend 45 minutes talking about not very much at all. And then you get to drive home again. So Mm. yeah. Yeah. And from that, I sort of have a design background. I have a social sciences background, a not very linear career path, but who does these days? So it all just, and see how it fits. Absolutely. So it kind of came down to, well, you have these design skills, work isn't working out. So let's try the self-employed thing. And design was one of the, the easy things to sell in the beginning when, you know, you have an idea, but you don't know how this whole business thing works. Everybody knows what a flyer is. Everybody knows what a business card is. I can sell that without having to go into this grand. I need to explain it. But what I realized in that is that traditional graphic design can be very transactional. You need something quickly. It needs, you know, everything needs to be done yesterday. It needs to be cheap. And once it's done, it's fixed. That's it. That's relationship over. You've kind of produced the goods and they move on. So um, where's the value for you? Yes. Where's the value? Ongoing. Yeah, absolutely. And the parts that really grabbed me were where we were talking about identity and and how can we bring across who we are in this business world? How can we stand out? How can we make the right people feel the right things about us? And so I gradually morphed 
my offer from a very design heavy focus into what is now very much a connection focus with a bit of design on the side. So it's emotive branding then. Yes, very intuitive. I like to say I, I need to get into your head and take out what's in there so you can get into people's hearts. That's what it's about at the end of the day. Yeah. You need to touch them. You need to connect with them. But if there's one thing I've learned about connection is that it's really hard to really connect unless you're connected to yourself first. So there's this whole piece in there about figuring out, calibrating where you've come on the rebranding stage or looking at where you want to be when you're branding from scratch and all the influences that involves where everything's come from. You're taking all your personality strands and your identity strands. And I'm sort of the person that pulls them all out. And then together we weave them into the the fabric of connection, if you like. Yeah. It's like chemistry, isn't it? And it is very much yeah, creating an intoxicating potion. Yes. One that is as intoxicating for the person that it's for than it is for their clients. Because I, I find that if you're a solopreneur or, or one of those service business owners that sells something invisible, if you don't buy it, they don't buy it. That's so true, isn't it? That go back to this sort of idea that everybody is a salesperson. doesn't matter what it is that you do. You've got to influence somebody somewhere along the line. And if you're not bought into something, you're not going to really be that bothered about whether they buy it or not. And really, you want people to go, yes, I've got <laughs> to have that. So it, emotional decision-making is has got to be really key. What sort of, I mean, independent coaches, that's quite a broad spectrum. Is there a sort of particular type of coach or personality that you work with? You know, some work with introverts or extroverts. That's an interesting one because I very much come across as an extrovert when I'm out and about, but I don't see myself as one. I'm, mm. I'm the sort of person who likes to go home and close the door and not take any phone calls and sit with my book and just let everything calm down again. So like the, the fuzziness goes away in my body. Because <laughs> yeah, so it, it takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? To, to, it to, does. to be giving. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was something I wasn't expecting when I sit down with my clients and we're going through this very, for them, very intimate work of, you know, they might know who they are, but in order for them to be able to interpret that for them, I have to get to know them very closely as well. And we're doing a lot of emotional work there together. And it's, it can be not exhausting, but it it does take something out of you and creativity doesn't come from nowhere. So there, there is that balance piece. So I would have said probably two, three years ago, I was very much trying to attract the extroverts because I was marketing myself as a superhero at the time because, yeah, I'm a nerd. I like dressing up. I decided that it would be really fun if I created the superhero persona for my business and made the damn costume. So I've got the costume and a covered. <laughs> that I've got to see. <laughs> and wear that to like conventions and trade shows because I knew there would be like, 30 suits and me having a stand. So that's the individuality that you were looking for at the time though, wasn't it? To it, it be able definitely, to definitely what I was my my initial objective was what is the cheapest way to get me into the paper? 
you know, for somebody to take a picture <laughs> and to try and some guerrilla marketing effort to, to try and get myself out there. And it did get me conversations. It absolutely got people to stop and to say, please tell me what this is about because I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and it attracted actually amazingly predominantly women who went up and kind of went, this is amazing. I love this. What is it that you do? It was only later that I learned that they don't want you to be their hero. They want to be their own hero. Yeah. They want you to make their suit. They they want you to be, you know, in, in true story brand fashion, they want you to be the guide uh, and they themselves are the hero in their own story. And at that point, I think to a degree I was wearing the the suit, my my power outfit as a bit of a, I'm making myself feel better about myself because I don't really feel like I, want, I, I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> It's interesting because that's almost like an armor in itself, isn't it? That can actually switch an audience off as well as switch them on. Yeah. Yeah. So while it was great fun and we had lots of laughs and and I had lots of positive feedback from it, and it certainly made me feel more comfortable and, and more confident when I was wearing it because I was playing that role. I also then at some point realized that I was probably turning people off. And I don't mind polarizing. I don't mind being a bit of a Marmite option. I'd much rather I have some flavor that people dislike than to be completely bland. Yeah. But you attract the people that you that are best for you, don't you? I think in any yeah. field. So yeah. I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I wouldn't want to either. That's not, that's not the, the name of the game is to, is to be the best with the best in your circle. I outgrew her. I outgrew the Apricity Girl and I still have the outfit. I still have the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have um, to send me one. I'll, I promise I won't share it. I, I will, Well, you know, if, if you're at all on my LinkedIn history or on any of my Facebook things, it's just, she's, she, she will pop she's up. A part of my, she's a part of my history and people still yeah. go, oh, you're, you're the one with the costume. Like from three years ago. It made an impression. <laughs> yeah, lasting um, impression. I'm connecting with people more closely now that it's really 100% about them and not so much about me. And, and there's genuinely a truth there <laughs> for, yeah. for any kind of marketing or any kind of sales. It is always about the client. That's where the conversation becomes the key part of the process, isn't it? Is what you're saying is, you know, look, I can help you create your own superpower suit. I can mm. help you you know, step into your authentic, aligned, calibrated persona so that it's not an effort. That's the thing, isn't it? That it's not, it doesn't feel like you're playing a role, that this is a true representation of who you are, that people will then be naturally attracted to you. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And it is, and and you said, you know, what kind of coach, the kind of coaches that that are done with the bullshit, you know, <laughs> the sort of people who, who are kind of done shouting and they have found their own truth and there's just no space for compromising anymore. And this is why it's, it's zero compromise rebranding because it's not cheap. We need this to be right. And we need it to say the right things to the right people. And we need to give them the right gut feeling about you, even when you're not there. And above all, we need you to be so proud of this, so excited 
that when you hand this over, it's literally an extension of yourself, mm-hmm. just not the the crappy bits that you don't want to show anybody, but like the, the best version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Does my problem look big in this suit? Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm saying this while I'm wearing, you know, professional on top pandemic on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a word for that. Can, can we um, please find out what the word for that is? I'd love that. We've talked metaphorically about you creating a superpower suit mm-hmm. and and rebranding, you know, does conjure up to me certain elements of style towards marketing. But I still think it's a really, really underestimated field because it's kind of like muddy waters until mm-hmm. you can, you know, let it settle and actually see what's at the bottom, you can see what you're going to get. And I think that's that's true in lots of industries, but but certainly marketing, branding, sales, you name it, there's different names for so many different things that all mean the same. What would you say you work on? What are the, the tangibles that they can take away and go, this is what I got from working with Marina. This is how she helped me with my brand. So- they come initially for the logo because that's what, what you come for. That's what you expect when it says rebranding. And actually what they walk away with is a real clarity on how to communicate the strengths of the businesses, the business and the uniqueness and the, the differentiation, a clear understanding on, on their own positioning and the, the synergy with the client, what they're expecting to see and hear, you know, what is the brand promise? They will have a personality profile for their brand that tells them this is how we act. This is how we react to the external world. This is how we communicate in terms of a brand voice. Obviously, there's going to be colors and pretty lovely design, (laughs) very pretty, (laughs) you know, a bunch of the, the, for me, slightly more boring this is what you're allowed and this is what you're not allowed to do with your logo in order to keep the consistency. But we're also talking about the energy in the business. I I always say that the vibe, the kind of... Does it come down to cultures and values that you kind of... It's almost like the the survival guide of, of living the Zen way, for example. Yeah, to a degree. And I find that the bigger the team is that I'm working with, although I tend to work with quite small businesses for the majority, the bigger the team is, the clearer the understanding of what the brand of the business is has to be because they all become ambassadors. So they all have yes. to be able to carry that out into the world. Everybody has a phone. Everybody's on Facebook. They're all mouthpieces of your organization. Yeah, it's touch points no matter how you try and wrap it up. Yeah. But really the the bit that I enjoy the most that really gets me going. And I think that's that's probably where my zone of genius is in terms of if I had to put a finger on it, is that that taking what is in somebody's head, even though I can't physically see it, and and turn it into something that can show back to them and they go, How did you know? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know? What was in my head? <laughs> yeah. And that's that's what excites me about it. It's an incredible it's an incredible privilege I think as well to to be able to work with people but also to be given that gift 
to, and to be able to have realised and use that gift mm. because it not just impacts and, and fulfills you, but does so much more for the business owner, the company, and the extension into the world of people that they want to be touching. So it fascinates me what people go through and the, the extent and energy that's expended in in doing something like that. But I, having had a, done it myself, it is so worth it. Having gone through the process is goodness. I'm instantly recognisable. If I use any of my branded imageries, icons, infographics, anything along those lines, people go, oh, that's Wendy. And they stop. So it can stop the scroll, which is something that we all need to do now, isn't it? You know, So using a certain set of photographs in lots of different ways, it's just being able to, like you say, connect, isn't it? That, mm. that you've got that however many touch points it is for them to go, I recognise that and that's what I want to be looking for. Yeah. And you need to be recognisable across multiple platforms nowadays. It's not just you're on your website and that's it. You're, no. you're on your website and then some. And although the platforms demand slightly different communication styles, depending on, on where you are, you still want to come across as one business, not three businesses on three different platforms. Yes. that happen to do the same thing. So the the consistency, I think for me, is something that people tend not to think about so much initially because it's just them when they start out and they do everything themselves and it's all in-house. That's mm -hmm. great. <laughs> You're one person, you're very likely to do everything in, in just you because you know what you are like. Yeah, because Canva's great, right? <laughs> <laughs> But then you start outsourcing and then you start hiring and you have a VA and you start giving people parts of that work. And then who you are, the essence of you, the brand, gets dilated. It's less strong then. Yeah. It's less clear. You've got to so, rein it in, haven't you? Yeah, you've got to rein it in, but you need to know what the important bits are that you want other people to communicate on your behalf. So this is where the work with People who are upscaling as well is very interesting is how do we make this so everybody knows what's going on and yeah. how we can communicate that and, and how it translates. Like a lot of things, and I think this is worth mentioning for listeners as well, is that to have a core brand doesn't mean that that's all you're ever going to have because it, it evolves it can take on a life of its own and you can find yourself growing that brand and the messaging and the imagery. So long as you stick to those core principles, it's easy to sort of bolt on and attach to it. I think sometimes the mistakes that people make with branding, this is just my observation, don't shoot me down, but it is that, you know, you'll go to one person and for one thing, then you'll go to another person for something else. And then you'll go to another person for something else. And you're taking that piece, first piece of work and you're passing it on. It doesn't quite all flow. And that's where it's a good idea to stick with one person that can look after all of those aspects for you. Yeah. From a provider's point of view, absolutely. Or get yourself somebody who can do you a document that spells out very clearly what 
we do how we do it. So you have something that you can carry to a third party and say, can you please, whatever you do, do it along these lines because we have brand guidelines. Yes. But bringing it back down to a much more fundamental level, I think brand is not just influenced by the people we bring in and pay to help us with our products and to help us with our marketing, but brand is actually, and this is where it gets a little bit nerdy, and this is where I'm like, eh, this is my, my help. Come on, get <laughs> us with it, Marina. This is the good stuff. Your brand lives in the overlap between what you do and say and how people react to that and what they think about you and how they talk about you when you leave the room. So your brand is never wholly yours. It is always to a large degree informed by your audience and what they, how they feel and, and what they think. So you only ever own about half of what you're doing anyway. And if of that half, you're then giving parts away to different providers. Imagine you're Coca-Cola, okay? And you yeah. have an office in every country in the world, multiple languages, lots and lots of different cultures, thousands of people working for that brand. Those brand guidelines have to be so absolutely clear that the person in India talks about Coca-Cola in the same way as a person in South Africa, as a person in the US, and the whole world understands what Coca-Cola stands for. Yeah. And it becomes simpler for that exact reason, the bigger the, the brands are. And this is why consumer brands are very, very clear because they have to. And it, it's worth saying that you don't need to have something as strong as, you know, one of those brands like Coca-Cola for it to work for you. You can start from a much smaller place. So I think sometimes, you know, it's expectations aren't managed because perceptions are that it's, you know, I've got to be, if I'm going to have a good brand, I've got to be like the corporates who've got very deep pockets and spend thousands. I mean, I remember, was it a couple of years ago when BT rebranded and I just literally on LinkedIn but shared the piece from the marketing agency that had announced it and said, would you have paid this much money for, for this logo? You know, and it attracted so much attention because people didn't see the point of, you know, of what was behind it and what was the thinking, yeah. you know, and everybody kind of went, well, I could have just stood up and got a whiteboard and, and a purple pen, <laughs> done that. Yeah. It's the ideas, the concepts, the time, who's involved. What, you know, I know that there's so much more that goes into it that does rack up a bill. And this is kind of where it becomes important to have those initial conversations, isn't it, Marina, that you were talking about at the beginning. If you can sit and unpick who that person is, how they feel about the business, how they feel about what they deliver for their clients, then you're going to be able to represent them it's not going to fall down later on down the line because you've got the right person that you're talking to. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. The big consumer brands play in a completely different, it's, it's not even the same game. It's like, you know, <laughs> we're very, very far removed from having small business brands to having large international consumer brands. The simplest thing everyone can do is just be really intentional and become very intentional about what do I want to be known for? And to think about brand as reputation more than brand as a set of images that I use and a set of colors and designs that go on my stuff, because that then suddenly transforms everything you do. Because if you have decided that you want to be known 
as the most helpful in your sector, your customer service can't be mm -hmm. and your, uh, your onboarding process has to be slick and you have to over deliver and you have to give that. If you promise people something, they'll expect you to. You've got to keep your promise. Deliver. And then hold you to it because the reputation <laughs> takes a really, really long time to build and about five and seconds to yeah, Absolutely <laughs> right. Goodness. Something that has been a topic of conversation recently, um, observing a couple of things that I won't go into now, but it is important, isn't it? You know, I would say that brand kind of covers logic, emotion and urgency and wanting to be involved with things. That's kind of how I wrap it up. And you're right, a brand should be a little bit like a legacy. If you remove yourself from your brand, does it still stand up on its own as an entity? That's kind yeah. of another good way of looking at it. If you could step out of it and somebody else with similar values as you, with similar skill sets, could step in and carry that forward, that's when you've nailed it. Yeah. I like to say, treat it, imagine it, it's a person that, you know, you, your business is, is a person, an, an individual has a name, has a story, has a history, has a personality, has values and beliefs and a, a way of how they formed, has a certain way of speaking, a communication style, dresses a certain way. So that's your design element. And all of that together, if it makes sense, that that is your brand to to someone else. And you need to Make decisions that turn your customers into friends with that person, that fictional person that is your business. <laughs> yes. Rather than um, rather than selling to a customer, which is just a yeah, a line you're not on selling to. They should want to come and buy from you. Yeah, it's turning it that round. Gosh, Marina, we could talk about branding for quite some time. I hadn't realised that I had so many opinions on this. <laughs> 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 but it's good it's a, to hear it from an expert that you know and that can not simplify it you haven't simplified it you've just explained it in a really really concise way that we can all understand and go ah I'm gonna go and look again at my branding and see where it's working well and what I can improve on which is cool Now, the moment has arrived. This is my favourite part where I get to ask my guests for the first time to spill the beans about that conversation that you've had where it created a turning point. Okay. So I, I remember this really, really clearly. It was January 2014 in Salisbury and I had just come back to the UK from Austria where I was born and uh, I spent sort of 10 years here going to uni. And then I went back thinking that life was going to be better there because then I now have a, a fancy degree and everybody, the world is going to wait for me. And turns out that wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> and up to that point, I think everything in my life had gone pretty much to plan. I'd been where I wanted to do. I got the education I wanted to, and then I finished uni and it just stopped going to plan. I'd had a couple of jobs that just were a little bit shit. <laughs> mm. And um, I think we can all relate to those couple of jobs yeah. that we'd rather forget. I'd kind of decided that Austria, even though I'd been born there, I'd become an adult here in the UK. So I felt like a stranger in my own country. So I decided to 
wrap everything up and come back to the UK to do uh, an internship on Salisbury Cathedral as a stone conservator because architectural oh, wow. restoration is part of one of those degrees that I have that I'm not doing anything with. <laughs> but, you know, it's another ology. Uh, yeah, you know, it's brilliant. doesn't involve a lot of conversation because you're on a scaffold in the cold, like repairing stone, <laughs> but it's, it's amazing. So I, I was in Salisbury, newly arrived with a single suitcase in a shared house where you just have one of those rooms and unexpectedly found myself with nothing to do. I'd gone to see the people for the internship and they said, we've been delayed. We haven't got anything for you for three weeks. So now I'm sitting there expected to pay rent on a place where I'm, I'm literally not doing anything here. I found myself a photo club. It must've been a Monday night because I think I arrived on Sunday and I walked into Salisbury Camera Club where the average age is probably 65 and above. <laughs> Hobbies. Young, Hobbies. Yes. 20 something with short very bright orange hair and I attracted a good deal of attention <laughs> and a lot of people wanted to talk to me because oh young blood you know who, who is this young person we need to keep her we need to bring her in <laughs> don't um, let her escape lock the door I, I started talking to this lovely lady and she said so so what are you doing here why are you here so I told her the story about the internship and everything she's oh so you're looking for a job then? My husband just happens to be looking for somebody part-time to wrap up one of his two businesses. And I said, okay, that, that sounds like something I've never done before, but how hard can it be? I'll give it a try. And that was the conversation that got me into self-employment because I would have never even considered it before then. My parents have, you know, municipal jobs in Austria. They're very stable, pension, everything's planned out. Traditional to go to uni, get a job. It was now okay to change jobs, but the idea was to be employed and to be stable and to have a pension and, and this whole sort of lovely package. And then turns out I didn't like employment. Turned out not to be that great. And then on come this lovely lady and, and the associated gentleman who said, well, let's do something here. You can absolutely work with me, but I don't employ because I'm wrapping everything up. You'd have to do this as a freelancer. I'm like, no idea how this is going to work, but you can teach me. So it then very quickly turned out that we're actually really compatible, that we had a lot of fun together, even though he was probably in his late 60s, early 70s by then. And we just got on like a house on fire. It was really good fun. And he became my mentor for two, three odd years, doing all sorts of things, sales procurement. We went to France to source oak logs to ship to China, flooring manufacturer from China. I mean, it was completely random. It was brilliant. Yeah, that's undoubtedly what changed the course of my life because before then I wouldn't even have, I thought I would have kept looking for jobs. Chance encounter that can set you on yeah. a different course. I'm interested because I, mid-career, right at the very early stages of running WAG, I started this in 2005, 2008. It was the crash financial crash. So I was still running WAG, but it wasn't enough to sustain me. So I had to go and get a job. And I ended up going and working for a retired millionaire and I'd never done secretarial work. I'd never done bookkeeping work, but I, he needed somebody to write letters to his cronies and he needed somebody <laughs> to update his bills and his accounts and things like that a couple of mornings a week. And that was the, that bridged the gap for me financially 
and actually some of the skills that I'd use through doing an office job, but not as intensely in those kind of areas. And to this day, he still talks to me in my head. So I've got to ask the question, when you find a mentor like that, that you can have fun with when really on the outside world, anybody looking in would have thought it was a very serious relationship and he was definitely the boss and I was definitely the secretary. Mm -hmm. Does he still talk in your head to you now? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really bizarre to start with because I was so in this we start at nine, we finish at five. He was less affair. He was an entrepreneur. That He would go where the world would take him. He, you know, <laughs> I don't know. He'd, he'd had his fingers in all the pies and he was, you know, not retiring, but he didn't need to work. So he was just doing things that interested him. We would always have not one plan because Marina likes one plan. We're Austrian, you know, we, <laughs> you have a plan, you stick to it. And I really was like that. And then there's this man and he was just, we always had three or four, five plans going at any given point. And depending on when the phone rang and what it said, we would just shuffle things. So sometimes on the Thursday, we'd get a phone call and Friday afternoon, we'd be on the ferry to France. It was very flexible and it used to drive me absolutely nuts. And he used to just say, Marina, you have to play these things by ear. You're You're still in control. You have to play these things by ear. And now, six years later, we're no longer working together. We're still talking. I now find myself saying to my partner, my friend, we're going to play it by ear. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and I get it now. I completely get it. Oh, you live in a constant world of frustration, Marina. That's the, that's the choice. <laughs> yeah, I, I realise that I don't think you can be self-employed and try and like hold on to everything. Like you say, the phone could ring, an email could land, anything at all could happen. Goodness, you know, in recent times, a pandemic can hit and you can't yeah. move out and do things. So we really do have to be agile. Yes. The good word for agile. being self-employed. <laughs> <laughs> It's key though, isn't it? These people do have a lasting effect on us as we carry on on our own journey, even when we go our own ways. It's an incredible thing to have happened by chance yes. to still be in your life th- these years later. I'm sure there's there's others that are listening that may have had something similar happen and they haven't realised the beauty in that. And who you, if you are listening and you can think of somebody like that, just after Christmas, I somehow felt compelled to sit down and to write to him. And I, I got a piece of paper and I hand wrote a letter and it just all kind of came out. And I got this really teary phone call saying, this is the most amazing thing I've ever received and I'm going to frame it and I'm going to put it on my wall. So wow. you can give something back to these yes. people and it doesn't take a lot. It's just... Um, Gratitude. My goodness, I've got goosebumps just thinking about that because... That's worth more than money in the bank most days. Yes. Definitely. It's it's certainly the sort of things that we will remember rather than how much I made on any given day. <laughs> yeah, that stuff goes in one ear and out the other. You only remember how much you have to pay the tax man, I know. But <laughs> 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 yeah, funny enough, I do know that number. <laughs> oh, Marina, it's a beautiful story. 
it certainly is a conversation that's created a turning point for you. And thank you so much for coming, talking to us today about branding and about your early mentor in Salisbury. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you. I always finish off by saying, if any of the listeners want to carry on the conversation with you, whilst we will be putting all the details onto our website with your letter to listeners and any kind of resources that you can offer them, how do they get in touch with you right now? So as with many, LinkedIn is probably easiest. Marina Hauer, H-A-U-E-R, because I'm one of these foreign people who just spells the name automatically. (laughs) (laughs) That's just how things go. The website is apricity.studio. And that's like and, um, apricot, but instead of ot, it's city, isn't it? Yes. That's, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. If you are in any way, shape or form considering a rebrand, you're kind of a bit itchy and, and you know, and don't quite like what you've got anymore. I have a really, really comprehensive guide to rebranding that talks about all the stages and everything you need to consider and budgets and, and what have you and how to pick the right designer. Ping me a message and I'll send it to you. Well, if we can have that guide, we can put that to the show notes and people can download it. We'll make sure it's available for everybody. I'm sure you'll agree that there are those chance conversations that can really make a difference. Don't forget to carry on the conversation with Marina. She'll have the letter to listeners on the website, which is all the W's makingconversationscount.com. And there'll be lots of tips on branding there for you too. If you'd like to do the take the telephone influence test, you'll also find a link to that over there too. My diary's there if ever you fancy a chin wag. If you need some help at all picking up the phone, I'm your girl. Until next time, where we will have the wonderful David Smith talking to us about Boccia. Yeah, so five years later, I was going to a Paralympics and after the British, everything became a whirlwind. I was you know, selected for England camps. You're going to have to Google it or wait till next week. <laughs>